0: The Lord says, it doesn't matter what you're going through and all of the worry and the stress, the anxiety, those emotions which come so hard against you. I say to you, sincere worship will lift you out of that emotional pit every single time. Sincere worship will always produce deliverance. The circumstances may not change but sincere worship that comes from the depths of your heart will change you. It Will bring about the joy of the Lord, which will bring about an inner strength to endure through the trial. So I say to you, whenever you are facing those challenging situations, open your mouth and release unto me sincere. Worship that comes from your heart and you will experience the joy of the Lord. Please turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. In this passage... Uh, Jesus is teaching, and it actually go, It starts before John 15. But Jesus is teaching, and this all is taking place right before he gets arrested. Well, if let's just jump to verse 18. He says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you remember the word that i said unto you the servant is not greater than his lord if they have persecuted me they will also persecute you if they have kept my saying they will keep yours also the assumption there is that what you say is what he has said but you'll notice he says look at the world hates you don't forget they hated me before they hated you Sometimes it's easy to forget that. I just don't know why everybody's so mean to me. Well, they were mean to Jesus. And he said, if they hated me, they hate you. And then he says, if you're of the world, the world is going to love you. But, you are not of the world. That, man, I'm telling you what, that is one powerful statement. Now he's speaking prophetically to those who would be born again. He's saying, you are not of the world. You're not of it. Now, obviously we're in it, but you are not of the world. In the body of Christ, we don't understand that to the level we should. We are not of the world. We're not. But yet, too much of our lives are of the world. And, you know, we could go on and on about, you know, well, what does it mean to be of the world? Well, one thing to say is this. Dependency upon what man can do is a big mistake. Dependency of what God can do is how you're supposed to live. It's what we're supposed to do. You know, God can move and make an iron axe head float. And you you know, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, I feel sorry for you because it's in the Bible. I mean, it wasn't some sort of imaginary parable that somebody came up with while they were dreaming. It happened. You're not of the world. And then he says, Jesus says, I've chosen you out of the world. Meaning, I've chosen you to not be a part of the world. Another way to say that would be, I've chosen you to not be a part of the world's system. Or the way the world does things. Now, obviously, there are some things that we do that are the world system. Um, You know, you can't just walk into a store and say, well, I'm buying this by faith, and walk out with it. Okay, you have to pay for it. So there is an element of the world's economy, wherever you live, that you deal with. I understand that. But you understand what he's talking about, how that, look, (laughs) I've chosen you out of the world. Not to be dependent upon the world, but also not to be like the world to be something other, to, to stand out, the way Jesus did. And you know, he went around, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's important to remember that the majority of his encounters were with Jewish people, not Gentiles. Now, he did encounter uh, Gentiles, but it was mostly the Jews. And they made these comments, we've never seen it like this. Why we've never heard anything like this? Why we, in other words, there was a distinction about Jesus. Even there were even Gentiles that did notice this. Remember the Roman centurion, who said, "Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed." And Jesus said, "Whoa, <laughs> I haven't encountered this kind of faith even in in Israel, and this guy's a Gentile." So yeah, he did encounter uh, you know uh, both Jews and Gentiles. But there was something about him that was different. And the people heard the teaching, the people saw the works that were done, the healings and so forth, and they were challenged because we're seeing and hearing this, but why is it happening? And remember one fellow Nicodemus went to Jesus at night and he said, look, there's some of us, we recognize there's a difference here and we also know nobody can do what you're doing unless God is with him. And then it talks about how Jesus answered the question, you must be born again? Well, Nicodemus didn't ask that. But Jesus answered the question that Nicodemus was getting ready to answer or ask. And what was the question Nicodemus was getting ready to ask? He said, we know nobody can do the things you're doing unless God is with him. How Do we get God with us the way God is with you? That was the follow-up question, and Jesus answered it before Nicodemus could even ask. You must be born again. That's how you get God with you the way God is with me. You must be born again. And so he says here, you're not of the world. And, And that's why the world hates you. Because you're not of the world. This is why they don't like you. You're not of the world. Now look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, we just went to this verse. Remember, he says, Jesus already told us That, okay, you're not of the world. You're, you're not of the world. And then we see, come out from among them, be separate. Come out from among, among who? Come out from among the world. Be separate. And now he's not saying seclude yourself from the world. He's saying, let there be something different about you that does not conform to what's going on in the world. Come ye out from among them and be separate. Now look over in first Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. We pick this up, just start well, just start in verse one. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now stop right there. When he says, for, the, "For as much sin as Christ has suffered in the flesh, suffered for us in the flesh," how did Jesus suffer for us in the flesh? Well, you know, obviously everybody would, well, he was crucified. You know, hung on the cross. Yes, he did. He hung on the cross. But what else did he do to suffer in the flesh? He was tempted, like as we are, in all ways, like as we are. Yet, without sin. This word suffer, uh, it may sound a little harsh. But what it's talking about is Jesus was confronted with sin, temptations that appealed to the flesh. And he overcame that. You know, it's really interesting how some Christians seem to have this idea that Jesus never had a temptation that appealed to the flesh. It's weird. How could he be our Savior if he didn't come down here and live the way we do? I mean, he never committed sin, but yet he was tempted. And you know, there are some Christians, if you teach on this, they'll call you some sort of a heretic. Well, how could you say that about Jesus? Why, he was perfect. Yeah, I know. But he suffered in the flesh to maintain that perfection. Well, what do you mean he suffered in the flesh? He mortified the flesh. He refused, like the Apostle Paul said, I keep under my body, I do not let it do what it would do, otherwise it would do all kinds of stuff. Jesus did the same thing. He kept himself, his his flesh, if you want to call it that, he kept it into in submission to the life of God inside him. Because it says right here, he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, ultimately, yeah. Jesus, uh, he was crucified. But... you can't say his crucifixion caused him to cease from sin. Because he never sinned. So there was no sin to cease from. You understand that? He that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He says, likewise, um, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay, he's talking to me now. He says, you suffer in the flesh, and you'll cease from sin. Well, what does that mean? What it means is, I take control of me by the power of God's life in me. And when temptation comes along, say, you ought to do this, you ought to do that, and whatever it would be, if it's sin, then the power of God's life in me crucifies or mortifies the flesh, so I don't give in. The emotions, the flesh, and so forth, want to give in. But I say no. This is where the suffering comes in. Because how many times have you heard a Christian say something like, but I just can't stop. You know what I'm talking about. Whatever the sin would be, I just can't stop. Okay, no. are you born again? Yes, then you can stop. You just haven't come to the place of understanding that the power of God's life in you is the power to stop. And then he continues and he says, Okay, arm yourselves likewise um, with the same mind, but he that suffered in the flesh that cease from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, Revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Well, what would Jesus say? Well, they did it to me, gonna do it to you. And he, what he's saying here is this. You have a responsibility as a Christian to suffer any and all temptations, conquer the flesh, and live according to the will of God, not according to, now notice how he says this, the lusts of men. In other words, those things which are common to the world that people give into, regardless of what it is. And he says, you know, in your past, verse 3, this is what you did. And everybody did it differently. <laughs> Maybe you didn't do all of these things identified in verse 3, but, you know, somewhere, stuff you did fits into this. And he says, okay, that's you're not supposed to be doing this anymore. No matter what it is, no matter how you define it, and we're not going in to break all these words down. He says, but you're not supposed to do this anymore. So, suffer in the flesh to conquer these things and not live that way, but I'm going to give you a heads up. He says, the people that are still doing this, They think it's strange that you don't do the same with them. When when they invite you to their parties, whatever, why they think it's strange that you don't participate. Now I know that uh, we all have people we know that are they're not born again, and in some cases they will respect the fact that you don't do that. I understand, but at the same time, you do realize there are people out there. They, you know what, if you did what they do, you'd probably get invited to their functions more often. Now here's the kicker. This really, if if you sit and think about this, verse 4, they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. This really applies to the body of Christ more than what you'd think, than what you'd want to admit how many of us have Christians, they don't like it that we don't compromise with them. And they will speak evil of you. They will call they will call you a hypocrite. They're the ones doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and they call you a hypocrite. They'll criticize you. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than me. Yeah, 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 on and on it goes. In fact, it's very possible you'll be spoken evil of by Christians more than lost people. And I said just possible because there are a lot of <laughs> a lot of lost people out there. They they would rather you die, and they would like to be the ones to kill you. Seriously, that, do you, do you understand? What, what, the, no, I wouldn't give the name anyway. Politician that says something about the conservatives should die? Yeah. Nevertheless, that's not the sermon. <laughs> now look over in, uh, keep your finger here in 1 Peter 4, but look in James. James chapter 4. Now this is to Christians, folks. Keep this in mind. In James chapter 4, just look at verse 4. The adulterers and adulteresses know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now why does he call you an adulterer and an adulteress? It's because you become a friend of the world more than a friend of God. And he's telling you right here in this verse 4, if you choose as a Christian to partake of the things of the world, and the world is always comfortable around you. You know, say it like that. He said, you need to understand, you're no longer God's buddy. You have made yourself an enemy of God. You hear that? An enemy of God. Now, I don't think anybody in here would want to do that. But I can tell you this for an absolute fact. There are people who walk through the doors of this church... They have made themselves enemies of God. And those of us in here, we better watch it. You'll understand it just a little bit. He says, you're an enemy of God. Now look, turn back to First Peter chapter 4. And look here at verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? What shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us. The time has come. The time has come. The time has come. Now, how do you think that judgment takes place? He says, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Well, let me say it like this, another way. To kind of come at it differently here. For the time has come that judgment must begin in the body of Christ. Well, the house of God, I mean, that's what he's talking about. You know, if you're born again, you're a part of members, you know, household of God. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. All right, how does that happen? Well, fire and brimstone and earthquakes. Oh, come on. Seriously, is that what you think? Is, Is that? Okay, let me ask you this. The type and shadow in the Old Testament, is that how it took place? You say, well, yeah, don't you remember Korah? I remember Korah. I wasn't there, but I remember. Read about it. Now, I'm talking about how does the judgment begin? How does it start? All right, look back in Ezekiel chapter 2. And what I'm going to do is walk you through a passage here in Ezekiel chapter 2, and I'm going to share with you how this is a type and a shadow and a prophetic statement for the body of Christ today. And based on what we've read in John, 2 Corinthians, first Peter, James and first Peter and James, it fits right in. What we just read is essentially variation on the theme of what we're getting to read here, getting ready to read here, in Ezekiel. And before I go any further with this, guys listen. And I I understand this more than I ever have before. Um, God is serious about this. And there are too many of us in this church who attend like either in person or online. Too many did not take this seriously. God is serious. And I may repeat this again later on. But, I mean, if He says, don't you be... Now, I'm, I'm... using modern terms for words that are in the New Testament, uh, and I'm not going to go back and look at those Greek words, but if he says, don't be watching pornography, if he says that, then you need to understand, if you do it, you are in huge trouble. I'm talking, it's bad. You can't do this. And I've heard stories of Christian couples. Well, you know, you know, my wife and I, we like to watch it, you know, just to kind of, you know, start the engine. You can't do this. You, you hear me now. You can't. And where he says, coming out from among them, if stuff in the New Testament, I mean, if you go here and you read, God says, don't be doing this. Don't be doing that. Okay, this isn't just a poetic statement. This is They're not suggestions. God is saying, if you're going to stay my friend, then you know what? You don't do this stuff. Don't be my enemy. There's a period of grace where God gives you time to repent, get your act together. However, you need to understand, the time will come when you will no longer be under that umbrella of grace. You will no longer be headed for heaven. You will be headed for the lake of fire and you won't even know that it's happened on the inside. You will not even know that, you know, Jesus, He was so in tune with God, He's hanging on the cross and He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's because Jesus was made to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God. He knew when, when He had been made our sin. He knew He could tell on the inside what had happened. We have to come to that place. We have to be at that place to where we know when we are grieving the Holy Spirit. When we are breaking the heart of God. Now, let's just get into this and you'll understand it. You'll see. I hope you do. You know what? Glory to God. You know why these kind of sermons are coming forth? Not just here, but other places as well. It's because God, <laughs> all that can be shaken is being shaken. God is basically saying, okay, you need to understand. Okay, when I was at, when I used to run the bars um, here in Ohio, they weren't allowed to serve alcoholic beverages past 2 o'clock in the morning. And so right about 1.30 in the morning, you would hear, last call for alcohol, which means, This is your last chance to get something to drink because that's it. It's closing time. Using that as an analogy, God is saying, it's last call. It's last call. And the trumpet is about to sound. And you had better be ready. Now, in this, Ezekiel chapter 2, verse beginning in verse 1, And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. Stop there. Now what I'm going to be doing is going through this and using terms we can relate to the way that the Holy Spirit presented this to me during a time of prayer. And he said unto me, or he said unto us, body of Christ Christ, Stand on your feet. Stop taking a lazy approach to your relationship with me. Stand to attention. Get your act together. Be focused on me. Don't just have a a casual attitude toward your salvation and me as your God. Stand upon your feet and I will speak to you. You have too many Christians wondering, well, why didn't God speak? I can't hear God speaking. God said, well, why don't you stand on your feet? Now, not literally. You understand the imagery. He said, why don't you get serious about your relationship with me? And guess what? I'll speak. But what's going on right now? You know, <laughs> you, you think attending church on Sunday or when the doors open, you think that does it. He said, no, no, you don't understand. Christianity is a lifestyle, not a weekend experience. And he says, stand on your feet and I'll speak to you. And then he says, in verse 2, And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spake unto me. In other words, what he's saying is this. He's saying, church, if you will do verse 1, then guess what? My Spirit is going to move upon you and you are going to have an experience with me And I will speak to you, and not only that, you will hear me. You will hear me speak in your life. And then he continues here in verse 3. And he said unto me, Body of Christ, I send you to the body of Christ. You'll understand this as we go further. Body of Christ, I send you to the body of Christ. A rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me, they and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send you unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear, or whether they will reject and ignore you, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. Now look at this. He says, I'm sending you to the body of Christ. You remember the body of Christ, but I am going to use you as a mouthpiece to the body of Christ. What did we just read over there in 1 Peter? Judgment begins in the house of God. This is the Old Testament version of that. And he's saying, I am sending you to the body of Christ. And he says... They are a rebellious nation. Remember, it talks about you are a chosen generation, a holy priesthood, a royal nation. He says the body of Christ has become a rebellious nation. Are we not seeing that today in the church? Absolutely. Some of us that attend this church, honestly, I think you live in a bubble. And you don't really understand what's happening out there. But, guys, the church is becoming more... Look, you got you got churches where the people show up and they sing the praises of Jesus Christ, but because of what they have embraced and called truth, they're becoming more like the world than they are like Christ. And he says here, I'm sending you <laughs> to those rebels that are in the church, that are in the body of Christ. They've rebelled against me. Their fathers, they and their fathers have transgressed against me. What's he talking? They and their fathers. The fathers would be those who are considered the leaders within their churches, their pastors, their Sunday school teachers, their, their, you know, the religious leaders uh, within their midst. They've transgressed against me even unto this very day. He says, they are impudent children. They're stiff-hearted. And I send you unto them. And, and (laughs) when I send you unto them, thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord God. Okay, you say, well, okay, that sounds great. No, I don't think you understand the the magnitude of what he's saying. He's saying, you will say unto them, thus saith the Lord God. How are you going to know what thus saith the Lord God is saying, unless you are with the Lord God, unless you're doing verses 1 and 2? See this? You can't, you don't know what he's saying. And say it another way, he's saying, I'm sending you to tell them what I say. I'm not sending you to them for you to tell them your opinion, your thoughts. And that... See, I've shared this, guy so many times, how that when you're dealing with situations in your home or with other believers, whatever the case would be, stop saying, I think. Stop it. Because you're making a fool out of yourself. All they hear is your opinion, and then they turn around, well, I think. "Well, Well, let me tell you what this verse means to me. And you turn around and say, well, let me tell you what it means to me. No, who cares? You tell them what God says. You tell them what it means to God. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. This is where many people, even to this day in this church, watching, and and generally in the body of Christ, this is one of the biggest mistakes that you guys are making, whoever is hearing this. Stop giving your opinion. You give the word of God. Jesus, perfect example. How many times did he say something like, is it not written? Hath not God said... What is in the law? How many times did he take them back to what God said? That is our our example. Well, he says, Thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord. And he says, (laughs) Whether they listen to you, or whether they ignore you, and then it's like he throws this this hint in, Don't be surprised if they ignore you, because they're a rebellious house. He says, One thing's for sure they're going to know, that there's been a prophet among them. You can say, well, yeah, but I am not. I don't have the ministry calling a prophet. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about somebody who has the word of God and they are delivering, thus saith the Lord. That's what he's saying. They'll never be able, listen, they'll never be able to deny somebody was not in their midst delivering, thus saith the Lord. In other words, on the day of judgment, they will not be able to say, nobody told me. Well, then he continues here in verse 6. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. Now look at this in verse 6. He says, son of man, son of man, believers, Christians, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. And then he says, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dwell among scorpions. (laughs) This is interesting. How many of you have children that it feels like they are briars, thorns, and scorpions under your roof? Uh Uh-huh. And he's saying... Don't be afraid of them. Don't be and don't be afraid of these other Christians that are like briars and thorns and scorpions that want to come at you, because you're taking a stand. Uh, you, you you know you you you're holier than me. Now wait a minute. God has said, God has said, God has said, and He says don't be afraid of them. Do you know why it is? At this point in what I'm sharing with you, do you know why it is so many Christians will not do this? It's because They are afraid of rejection. They're afraid of rejection. They will not take a stand because they're afraid somebody is not going to like them. Because they're afraid the people they want to accept them will not accept them. They're afraid they're going to make little Johnny or little Susie upset in their home. Well, they might run away, or they might do this. Please don't think I'm being cold-hearted. What if they do? Listen, your job as a parent is not to keep the kids under the roof. Your job is to live as Christ before them. And you've got too many parents out there. They want to do whatever it is to keep little Johnny and little Susie happy, to keep peace in the home. If you read this passage, which we're going to continue reading, God didn't send Ezekiel to keep peace. He sent Ezekiel to deliver the word of the Lord. And you've got you've got uh, uh, parents that have briar thorns and scorpions as children living in the house, but they're constantly compromising to try to keep peace and try to keep the kids happy. You know what? When you stand before God, He's going to tell you you didn't really keep peace. What you did was destroy your testimony. And because you allowed your testimony to be destroyed... That is why your kids are not with me for all eternity. It's your fault. You should have taken that stand. Your brother Martin, that's pretty hard preaching. Hey, didn't God take His stand with Adam and Eve, and He told them, "The day you eat, you're gonna die." He didn't run down and say, "Now, now, I know you made a mistake. I know they lied to you. And I, oh, I know. I know. Uh, uh-uh. no. He said, "That's it. Cherubim." set the fire, stand in front of the entrance, they don't get in. They're standing outside looking into the garden and there's the, the flaming the cherubim standing there with that sword. They can't go in. They can see it. But they can't go in. God didn't compromise. And he's our example. And he says, don't be afraid of their words. Now this, is, this isn't just about, you know, in your home. I mean, this is also in the body of Christ. He says, don't be afraid of the word. Don't be dismayed. You know, they're they're a rebellious house. He says, you speak my words, whether they accept it or whether they don't. I'm telling you right now, guys, this is not always easy. But if you're going to take this stand, he says, verse 8, now look at this, But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. Now look at this, this is man. He says he's told so far, I'm sending you to the people in my house that are rebellious, that are rejecting me, rejecting my word, rejecting my standards, and I'm going to tell you what to say, and you say, thus saith the Lord. If they accept it, fine. If they don't, that's it. I mean, I'm, But I'm telling you now, this is what I want you to do. Then he says, don't be rebellious like them. Okay, well, how can I be rebellious like them? What's the next thing he says? Open your mouth. In other words, he said, I'm sending you to them to open your mouth and declare what I have said, thus saith the Lord. And he said, if you don't do this, then I consider you to be in rebellion just like them. You see? No wait, hold on here, hold on. I'm not doing the drugs, I'm not doing the porn, I'm not doing the cussing, I'm not doing the drinking, I'm not doing the adultery, I'm not doing, 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 doing. And God says, Yeah. But, <laughs> you're rebelling against what I've told you to do. And I have sent you to open your mouth and say, thus saith the Lord, not your opinion, not your thoughts, what I think. He says, and if you don't do this, then I'm going to put you in the category of the rebellious just like them. Now see, to us, my refusal to say anything isn't as bad as them jumping from bed to bed and doing drugs. That's how I look at it. And God is saying, well, look here. He says, be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. It's like, well, God, that doesn't sound very fair. And God says, may I remind you, these are my standards, not yours. This is what I'm establishing, not you. Well, then he continues. Now, notice here at the end, he says, open thy mouth. And then he says, and eat that I give thee. Eat that I give thee. All right, verse 9. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spent it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man... Eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll, and he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak my words unto them. Okay, what's he talking about there? God told God uh, spoke to him and said, Here, uh, eat what I give you. And then here's this roll. Okay, what is that to us? It's this right here. God has given us His Word. Okay? And God is saying, Before you start talking to people, you've got to get My Word in you. So you know My standards. So, see, look. The more you get into the Word of God and you take it seriously, the more you're going to understand when He says... Men can't be with men and women can't be with women because if that's what you do, you go to the lake of fire and you burn for all eternity. Okay, there is there is a passive approach to that too much in the body of Christ. But when you get God's word in you, I'm I don't mean you just read it like it's like it's a Moby Dick novel. I mean when you get the word of God and when you eat it, like He says here, when you eat it and it fills your belly, it fills your soul, when it is alive on the inside of you, then you understand you can't do these things God says does. Don't do, because if you do them, then you're going to stand in judgment. And it's going to come down on you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I'm talking on the day of judgment. There are no excuses when you stand before God on the day of judgment. Nothing works. And he says, eat my word. Eat my word. That way, when you begin to speak, it's going to be, Thus saith the Lord, and not, Thus thinketh I. And he continues here. Now look here in verse 5. He says, For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech, and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many people of a strange speech, and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely I had sent thee to them, they would have uh, had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. Now, was he talking about verse five and six? I didn't send you to people of a strange uh, language. What I sent you to the house of Israel. In other words, he's saying, this is not about go ye unto the, all the world and tell the lost about Jesus. That is not what this is about. This is prophetic about. I'm telling you, judgment is taking place in the house of God, and I'm going to send you to speak my word. To deliver my word. In this aspect of your living as Christ, it's not about going out to the street corners and preaching Jesus. It's about delivering my truth and and bringing to the attention of my church where they have failed, where they've turned from me. Bringing to the attention of the church the sin that they have embraced instead of embracing the fullness of who they are in Christ. The compromise that exists. And he continues in verse 7. And he says... But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-headed, hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Now what in the world is he talking about here? Well, look at this. He says, okay, I'm going to have you go out. I'm going to have you say these things, but you need to know ahead of time. They're not going to receive it. Well, what's happening today in the body of Christ? See, you have entire churches, entire congregations, pastors, so called prophets, and so on and so, apostle this, apostle that. They go completely against the, well, not completely against the Word of God, but they go against, see, when Ezekiel was delivering this, it wasn't the people who were standing up and saying, there is no Jehovah. It was people who were saying, there is a Jehovah. We are the people of the covenant with Abraham. We are the people of the law of Moses. We are the chosen of God. They weren't identifying God, but they weren't identifying with God. You understand what I mean by that? And so, in the body of Christ today, this is what is going on. You have Christians who say the Christian things, who sing the Christian songs, and so on and so forth, but when it comes to the truth of the Word of God, they are not accepting it. And God help you if you bring it to their attention. They will turn on you. The, even even nicely. <laughs> but it doesn't matter if they're mean or nice. Bottom line is, truth is truth. And our responsibility is to deliver the truth. And then where he says, in verse 8, you know, um, I've made thy face strong against their faces, and he says, thy forehead strong against their foreheads. You know what he's saying? He says, you're going to bump heads You're going to bump heads with these people, but he says I made your forehead harder than theirs. (laughs) That's what this is talking about. And what he's saying is, don't back down. And, And and he's not talking about wagging your finger in their face and just you know giving them the what for. He's talking about taking a stand and not backing down. I remember one time I was talking to some guy about. Something in scripture, and, and, and he was saying, Well, you know, it's such and such, and I said, Well, but the, the Bible says. He goes, Well, yeah, but such and such, this and this, and I said, Well, yeah, the Bible, but the Bible says. And, and he said to me, Well, I guess we'll just find out who's right when we're in heaven. And I'm thinking, I don't have to wait till I get to heaven. The Bible says, <laughs> You see what I'm getting at? You don't back down. And when somebody is, you know, butting their head up against yours, figure of speech, you do not You do not try to keep peace by saying, well, I guess we just see it differently. Don't be a fool. That's the rebellion God is talking about. You just say, well, look, the Word of God says, and I'm sorry that you don't see it that way, but this is what is in Scripture, and God's Word isn't going to change. You can do this in love, but still not back down. And then he says in verse 10, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart, and hear with thine ears. What You know, you go into the New Testament and you see Jesus talking about, if any man hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, here it is, Old Testament version of that. And he says, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart. And hear with thine ears. The only way you're going to do that is to spend, is to stand to attention. Is to spend that time with Him. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. He says, And go and get thee to them of the captivity, unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear, you say, well the captivity that's, that's the people you know Babylon, yeah, I know, but symbolically and prophetically, for what he 's talking about here, all these Christians out there in the body of Christ that are living in this compromise, what they do not understand is they are in captivity, they are not living in the freedom that Jesus Christ has given unto them, <clears throat> they are in captivity to lies, they're in captivity to sin. They're in captivity to things that are going to take them straight into the lake of fire. And he's saying, Speak to them. Now, please don't misunderstand and think that I'm telling you that you're supposed to leave here and start going to all these compromising churches and walk in the doors and saying, Yea, thus saith the Lord. No. You live a non compromising life. And when these things come up, and you and I both know they will you just declare the word of God and you don't back off. And there will be times where God, I mean, he's already said my spirit will move upon you. There will be times when God's spirit will move upon you in a prophetic nature to deliver something unto somebody in in love, or however God leads you to do it. Don't ever let your emotions get in, in this, okay? Keep that under control. But there will be times you'll be saying things. In fact, I'll tell you what's going to happen. If you follow what God is saying here, There will be times that will come up in your life when you will be talking to somebody and you will be saying some things that they thought were hidden in the closet. That they thought nobody knew about. And you're going to be not, yeah, yeah, God says you are doing such and such. No, it's just going to come up and you'll be saying it. You won't even realize that what you've done is exposed the fact that you're hearing from God and they now know that God's watching them. I mean, that's happened with me before. So how do you know that? Well, I, how do I know what? Well, you said, I don't know. I just, it just came out. It was God. It was the Spirit of God. And he continues here in verse 12 and says, Then the Spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. And I heard also the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels over against them, and the noise of a great rushing. And so the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to them of the captivity in Tel Aviv that dwelt by the river of Kibar, and I sat there. I sat where they sat and remained there, astonished among them seven days. You say, what in the world is this talking about? Well, very briefly, here's how the Holy Spirit helped me see this. All this is going to happen. It's not going to be because of your flesh or what you think. It is going to be a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit in your life. Not necessarily the signs, the wonders, and the miracles, But it is going to be, where he says here, verse 14, So the Spirit lifted me up. The Spirit of God is going to lift you up with an anointing to do what God is saying to do in this passage. And God repeatedly has said, Do not be afraid of them. Do not be dismayed by their looks. Do not let their words penetrate. He's saying, "You, you say what I'm telling you to say. And he continues in verse 16. And it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Stop right there. Symbolically, what does that mean? What it means to us is, we stay in the presence of God. We don't just run out there and do stuff, you know, at the end of seven days. We stay in the presence of God, and we move in His timing and in His direction. And he says... Uh, the The word of the Lord came unto me saying, verse 17, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Hear the word at my mouth. Again, not your opinion, not your thoughts. It's my word. And give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked thou shalt surely die and thou givest him not warning nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity but his blood will I require at thine hand. That happened in this church. I had I only been here a few weeks. It um, hadn't been a long time. And there was somebody here in the church and I knew who it was. And the Lord moved prophetically and said and I don't remember the exact words how it was but something about uh, you you know you've got one month to make things right, one month to make things right, and that person hearing it leaned over to the person sitting next to him and said, "That's that's me, that's about me." And God gave them an opportunity right then in that service to repent. They didn't do it. Thirty days later, they dropped over dead in their uncle's front yard. Only about I don't know like 32 years old, whatever. I mean, dropped over dead, just boom. Dead. Gone. Okay, you know what? I stood up here and I gave the warning. (laughs) I'm in the clear on this one. And he says here, you know, warn the wicked of his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but if he rejects this, he says, but his blood uh, will I require at thine hand. You know, if you don't say this, if you don't do what I'm telling you, then I'm going to require this person's blood at your hands. He said, but... Verse 19, if you warn the wicked and he turn uh not from his wickedness nor from the wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. In other words, if the wicked person hears it and rejects it, then you're in the clear. But if you don't say anything, and the wicked person dies that way, then you know what? That person's blood is on your hands. <laughs> How many of us I'm not look, I'm not trying to make this a downer. But remember what I said earlier, God's serious about this. How many of us might, and I'm not saying definite, how many of us might have the blood of somebody on our hands? Because we didn't say anything. Well, I was afraid to. Again, the fear of rejection. I would rather be accepted by God for all eternity and suffer the rejection of man during this lifetime. And it continues in verse 20, and it says again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him and he shall die because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin and his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. I mean, it sounds like a backslider in the church today. And this is what he's talking about. He says, Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned also thou hast delivered thy soul. Are you guys understanding this? Now, notice earlier in this, he said, you speak what I tell you to speak, and even if they reject it, you know, they're going to know that a prophet has been in their midst. Then he says right here, that I've made you a watchman under the house of Israel. folks, Listen to me. Every single one of you is the watchman and the prophet. Every one of you. Every one of you. There are no exceptions. Every single one of you, you're the watchman, you're the prophet. You're the prophet, you're the watchman, you. And see, the problem we have in the body of Christ is that too many Christians hide behind the pastor when it comes to taking a stand. Well, you know, the pastor, he's supposed to be like this. You know, but, but I'm just me. No, you are the watchman, and you are the prophet to these people. You're the watchman, and you're the prophet to your children, to your household. You're the, you're the watchman, and you're the prophet every day. Your life is to be the life of a prophet and the life of a watchman. Too many Christians forget that the calling of Christian is greater than the callings of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Well, I don't know what my ministry calling is, and so I'm waiting until I know, then I'll do something for God. No, right now, you are the prophet and you are the watchman. Right now. Right this minute. And, you know, it's interesting. Well, I'll take them to church so that they can hear the word. <laughs> They're supposed to be hearing it from you. This is what God is trying to get across to us here in this, in this passage that we're reading here today. We're supposed to have that word in us. So that when we speak, it's coming out of us. You know, the events surrounding uh, here Ezekiel and uh, contemporaries like Jeremiah, Daniel, and some of the others that lived, you know, in this time period. The reason that this was happening, the reason God was speaking through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and these other prophets this way, was because the majority of the the Jewish people and the religious leaders had rebelled against God and his word. It wasn't all of them, but the majority had. Well, <laughs> it took centuries for them to get to this point, from the time that the law was given to Moses up until now. It took hundreds of years to get to that point. Now, folks, you, you ever heard the phrase, history repeats itself? Well, guess what? That's what's happening right now in the body of Christ. We are looking at the same thing today. It has taken, I don't know how many years, to get where we are right now. But we're in a place right now to where, I don't know what the tipping point is, but if we haven't already crossed over, we're getting cro- close to it, more Christians are compromising than there are living for Christ and that's why God did what he did here in the Old Testament. And that's why you have, like Ezekiel, delivering this word. It's because the majority of the people, including the religious leaders, had turned from God. And God is saying, Ezekiel, you go tell them. I'm not sending you to the Babylonians. I'm sending you to the house of Israel. And I want you to deliver this word. But before you do it, you've got to hear it from me. You've got to eat the scroll. Guys, he, God, is sending us to the body of Christ to be the prophet and to be the watchman. That's what we are right now. Right now. Every one of you, I don't care what your age is. Right now. Every person in this room watching, hearing this. We are the prophets. We are the watchmen. And God expects us to eat the roll. And spend time in his presence. And to receive from him. And to operate by his spirit. As we deliver his word. His words of warning. Again. When God says, you, you, don't, you don't booze it up. You, you don't consume alcohol to feel good. You don't do it. Too many Christians I like to have a glass of wine before I go to bed at night. Why? It helps me to relax. You know what? Worship will do the same thing. And they'll do it better. Because then you'll go to bed with God on your mind and heart. When God says, you, you don't be doing this stuff to get high. Smoking this stuff or whatever. Yeah, but the doctor said, you know what? <laughs> when you get born again, you're supposed to be pressing into God, not looking for a, a, a society legal way to do stuff and try and justify it before God. You can play those games all you want. I don't care. You can play those games all you want, but the Word of God is the Word of God. And when God says don't be doing this stuff, He means it. He, he's serious. We don't understand the seriousness of it. And God is, you know, the line is drawn. And God is saying, on that side over there is all the stuff I'm telling you don't do. On this side over here, (laughs) it's the people that don't do these things. And if you think you can straddle the fence and bring that stuff over here into my kingdom, no. I'll give you grace to make it right. But if you don't make it right, I've already detailed from Genesis to Revelation... The judgment that's coming your way. Judgment begins in the house of God. That's what this message is all about. It begins by the word of God being delivered. If you go through and you read in the New Testament or the Old Testament, just read the Bible. As I'm standing here right now, I cannot think of one time when, let me say it like this, the fire of judgment fell. However you want to describe that. When you know, something just, I mean, the earth opened up and whatever. I can't right now think of any time something like that happened without God's word of warning going forth first. And that's what's going on right now during this time. And for those of us here that call this their home church, watch this. I mean, Even if you don't call this your home church, you just watch. If there's stuff going on in your life that God has said don't do, You can't be living this way. You've got to repent and make it right. Stop trying to be like the world. Stop trying to look like the world. Stop trying to be accepted by the world peers that you have. Come ye out from among them. Live as Christ in the world. Once again, every single one of us, we are the prophet and the watchman to the people around us, to our families. Father, I thank You for Your Word and what You've revealed to us. And Father, I know that for some people this would be very challenging. In fact, some people might even think it's condemning, but that's not it. It's You letting us know that the time is short and we cannot compromise. We cannot incorporate the world into our kingdom living. We have to be different, Father. And, and we have to be the prophet, and the watchman. God, I pray that we feast on the roll more than ever before, that we live for you more than ever before, and I'm asking you to move on me, all the people here, the folks that maybe aren't here, but call this their home church, the people that watch and listen. If there's an area of compromise in our lives that needs to be dealt with, then God, may it be crystal clear to us And then may we take the stand to mortify that portion of our flesh so that we stop it. So I thank you, Father, and I say may we live in a way that glorifies Jesus and reveals to people that we truly are your children. In Jesus' name, amen.